introduce our speaker, who I have uh, I met several years ago, but I feel like over the last several years, whether he wants to or not, we've become friends. Um, and that's because brother in his current position, now what he's done prior to this has been, he has quite the resume at a young age. Uh, brother Hobson uh, was a former evangelist, traveled all over, preaching conferences, camps. He was a sought-after sought after evangelist. And then he uh, settled, in his, and he has three kids that he raised in Orlando, Florida. Poor guy. Had to pastor in Orlando. Um, built a great church there that is still a growing church. And then he's also, has anyone ever heard of Bible study in the bag, in a bag? Brother Hobson is the author of that Bible study that has really made its way through our movement and made a global impact. And uh, in his current position as the North American Missions General Secretary for an, our entire global organization, uh, he serves so many, and he, he is a point person uh, for, for, Christmas, for Christmas for Christ and for church planters. And, uh, and now I have been voted in in July as our Missouri District North American Missions Director. So um, Brother Sample, our former director, unfortunately, has passed away. So I don't have a lot of people to ask questions to. So I blow up his phone regularly. So he's my friend, whether he wants to be my friend or not. And so, but we really, all, all, in all seriousness, Brother Hobson ministered to our North American Missions Retreat just about two or three years ago. He just did a tremendous job. And I know that all of the positions, that's great. That's wonderful. But I know that he's going to step to this pulpit as the man of God for Refuge Church on this Sunday morning with a word from God for us. So would you just stand to your feet and welcome Brother Bill Hobson to this pulpit. Amen. Well, it is, it is such a privilege, great honor of mine to be here with you. You may be seated. It certainly is a great privilege to be with my dear friend. Uh, yes, my friend. Amen. And uh, uh, just love, appreciate so much the Dornbach family. You are so blessed to call them pastor. What a great great family and and uh you know i just i, I kind of was a little envious last night at dinner watching the the chaos of the the age of uh of the boys and just you know we we have a, a daughter who's 21 and uh, a daughter that's 17 and one that, and a son that's 15 now and so i'm just dealing with a to totally another level of chaos and uh um but uh, those of you who have gone before me know well my brother about uh, five years ago looked at me and he said, you have no idea what you're about to face. You're going to go through the most expensive years of your life. And, uh, oh, he was so right. I wish he had been wrong. Amen. But uh, it is such a great privilege to be here with you. And, of course, uh, you know, again, I, I say your pastor and his family. And, and I give honor to pastors right now because, you know, it's, it's a no-win. You've got people on one side saying, do this, you have people on the other side do this, and I'm not sure that there's really a right or wrong answer, but we're trying to do the best we can, and uh, you know, you're never going to please everybody, in fact, you know, we've got a very divided country, we have a very divided world, and so it's important to pray for your pastor, and you know, you may not always agree with every decision, but let him be your pastor. And, uh, and love them and care for them and appreciate them because right now they've got a lot of pressure and just the, the pressure and the chaos of it all. Uh, but I, I appreciate the great leadership. What an outstanding job. Of course, the beautiful, beautiful sanctuary and, and the future. We were talking last night about your future and just so look forward to what God has in store for this great congregation. And uh, we are appreciative of his involvement with North American Missions. Thank you for sharing him and his leadership with us. We appreciate capable leaders like Brother Dornbach and Sister Dornbach, just people who love missionaries, who love North America. We currently have about 480 missionaries in North America. Uh, these are families that are starting churches within their first five years of existence in the United Pentecostal Church. We have another uh, 445 daughter works, another 230 or plus preaching points, which represent about a thousand new works 
uh, in the last five years. That's, that, is, that is literally right at 20%. Amen. That's, that's 20% of the total works in North America for the United Pentecostal Church. And uh, so we're doing a tremendous job, and an outstanding job is being done by leaders like your pastor who's leading in this district, and we're thankful for, and of course, I, I'm going to preach here in a moment, but uh, I, I wanted to say this, I can't get before an audience and a congregation in the month of November or December without thanking them for Christmas for Christ. Uh, because you are giving to Christmas for Christ, you help the 480 plus missionaries directly helping them receive monthly allocations, helping them to uh, just miraculously do what God has called them to do. And we've had missionaries, literally in the, in, in the first 10 years, we've had some miraculous things because of your giving and sacrifice, making it possible for these missionaries to build these churches. In fact, just this past, in fact, this Sunday, we have a, a missionary that started his church right about uh, 8 or 10, maybe nearly 10 years ago. He started as a daughter work first. But uh, they're moving into a brand new building today. And in fact, miraculously, this year they, they just had a vision, had a purpose. And would you believe that young congregation has raised about $600,000 uh, in the last a little over a year to, to buy a building. And, and you know what's even better is that when they did so, they were buying a $2 million building and someone wrote them a check for the rest of the amount and they moved into a paid-for building today. You know, if we will do... And you know what I always preached in our congregation in Orlando, and yes, I did pastor in Orlando, and yes, eight and a half years ago, we did move here to misery, I mean Missouri. Sorry, I'm still trying to get that right. And uh, grew up in Indiana, pastored in Orlando, and God has a sense of humor to allow me to be in Florida during my younger years. And of course, as I go into my, through my 40s, God sent me away from the beautiful sunshine. And uh, but uh, nevertheless, I'm still trying to get over that. But uh, uh, but yet in the process of it all, uh, we always taught that if we'll do the impossible for somebody else, God will show up and do the impossible for us. And so sometimes our impossible is a little smaller or a little larger than maybe somebody else's impossible. And so when you're giving to Christmas for Christ, what you're doing is you're giving to somebody's impossible. And you're making it possible for them. But as you do so, you make a big, vital effect and effort in helping missionaries across North America. And because you do so, God will bless you. I can tell you today, there's a great church in Fort St. John, British Columbia. I've had the privilege of visiting several times. That church is not quite even 100 people, just barely 100 people. They just this year moved into a new facility. But prior to that, the building they were in was barely capable of seating 100 people. And yet that church got such a vision and a passion to help missionaries in North America. And even though they were facing unsurmountable odds of trying to buy a building themselves, they chose to give to missions and to North American missions through Christmas for Christ. And in fact, that small church of even just barely 100 people, uh, in fact, twice in the last four years has given $150,000 to Christmas for Christ. You say that's impossible. Well, it, it, was, it was possible. They sacrificed, many giving up their tax returns, many giving up uh, various things. One young man in the church had, had saved for quite some time for a vehicle, and yet he gave the $5,000 he had saved for Christmas for Christ. And God has already provided a great miraculous miracle for them and him. And in fact, as that church gave, and they continually, consistently gave, extreme sums of money. God has blessed them and they stepped into a new facility this year miraculously provided by the great generosity of our God who always pays back with great reward and return. Amen. And so I challenge you this year, this year, don't forget 
Yes, there's chaos in finances. Yes, there's uncertainty. But I challenge you to give to Christmas for Christ this year because you'll make a vital different difference in the lives of missionaries across North America. And so I want to say thank you for what you've already done. And I want to encourage you to continue to do more this year because it is worth the response and the effort. Amen. And so if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter number 14, verse number 22. We're going to go to Matthew 14, 22. And I know that uh, uh, somebody said, well, the commercial's over. But for me, it's really not about a commercial. It's about just simply thanking people like you who have sacrificed and gave so much for the cause of North American missions. And really, it's about representing missionaries that have been a recipient of that. And so we want to say thank you. Matthew chapter 14, verse number 22, it says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side when he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went into them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, boisterous, he was, what's that word? Afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they came unto the ship, the wind ceased. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Lord Jesus. God, I thank you for what we have already heard. Even in our our Sunday school hour and time, we heard a great message on fear. And I thank you, Lord, for the power of your great word and what we have felt here today. And I ask, Lord, that in the next few moments, your power and your anointing would speak to our hearts, our lives. Affect us. Change us. Minister to us. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to talk to you, and of course we heard a great Sunday school message this morning, that great tremendous message on fear. Man, he did, didn't he do a tremendous job this morning? Amen. Outstanding. Outstanding. But I want to talk to you just for a little while on simply, uh, because we're going to hit the thing called fear a little more here, when fear is no longer a factor. I said when fear is no longer a factor. We are dealing with an age that is dealing with great fear. And uh, yet, you know, the, it, it's, it's always been with us. We, we have a human nature and it's called fear. There is a part of us, in fact, even a radio personality once did a little survey. He asked what people were most troubled with. And, and fear or something was really the number one concern. In fact... I ran across a Gallup poll some time ago, what scares Americans the most, and, and the answers, in the order of the answers were simply number one was snakes. And uh, I don't fear snakes as long as they're dead. In fact, just several years ago, my son and I called a friend. We were up in North or South Dakota, and uh, we were supposed to speak a little men's. I was supposed to be speak a men's conference, and the pastor said, "Hey, come a little early, and we'll go a little hunting." We'll, and uh, I said, "Well, do I need snake books?" He said, "Oh, I never see snakes. Come on." And I brought my son along with me. He was younger at the time. He's, I think, he was maybe uh, eleven or so, and and uh, we're traipsing along and. Uh, wouldn't you know, I, I uh, almost stepped on a rattlesnake. And uh, believe me, the next time I went, my son and I both had snake boots. 
But, but the first thing is snakes. The second is public speaking. I guess finally I've overcome that one. The third is heights. Another is being closed in a small space. And of course, anybody here been trapped in an elevator? Oh, there's a few of us. I have been trapped in an elevator. And anyway, in a parking garage in downtown St. Louis. That's never a good place to be. Even heard the police sirens, they've come, they saved the people in the elevator beside us on a different floor, and then forgot about us. So about an hour later, we finally were able to climb out, which was anyway, we won't go through that. I think maybe everybody ought to have a fear of small spaces. And another one was spiders, another was needles and getting shots. Another is mice, flying on an airplane, dogs, thundering and lightning, going to the doctor, the dark. I mean, we all have some type of phobia. And you know there are all types of phobias. In fact, did you know that there is a a, a plutophobia? You know what a plutophobia is? It is the fear of money. Now, if you have a fear of money, I'm sure someone here in the room can help you with that. There's even a nomophobia, which is nomophobia is fear of being without your mobile phone. Oh, I wonder how many teenagers are trapped in this great fear. You know, there's another fear. It's called hippopotamus-strauss-equipped delophobia. Do you know what that fear is? You do? What is it? No. What is it? It is It is a fear of long words. Thank God for trivial pursuit. No, I'm kidding. It's called Google, I guess. I don't know. And yet there is a fear, this definition of the word fear. We, we call it, it's, it's really one would say it's the false evidence appearing real or an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or threat, a feeling of anxiety concerning the outcome of something or the safety and well-being of someone. It's a mixed feeling of dread or reverence. Can I tell you that right now our nation, our world is trapped in a concept of fear. In fact, we fear and we we are concerned about our well-being. We're concerned about what will happen next. We're concerned about our economic situation. You all, and I don't have to go through all of it, we simply are in the midst of fear. And I believe that in the last days, and I believe that we are living in the last days, I believe it's important the church recognize that very likely the greatest enemies attack against the people of God. God everywhere is to put upon us a spirit of fear. He is loosing a spirit of fear upon the world like we have never seen before. People are afraid to talk to one another. People are afraid to go anywhere. People are concerned about fear. You say, well, you, you, but you've got to understand there is a great fear. What if I lose my life? I think it's important that we as apostolics understand I do not live for this life only. Paul Paul said, for me to die is gain. In other words, there's something greater. If all you're doing is living for now, you're in trouble. Because can I tell you, there will be economic turmoil. There will be pestilence. There will be all types of chaos in our world. But can I tell you, when you see these signs come to pass, the Word of God says, look up. Look up. Our redemption draweth nigh. 
I talked to a great pastor yesterday. He said there's all kinds of fear in our church. But he said what I heard most was a great story. A great friend of mine told me, he said, and they're going through right now a chaos of COVID like they've never seen in their church. And, and he's got several all leadership, all kinds of chaos happening. But he told me, he said, you know what? We need to kind of go back to a dear saint of God that someone went to pray for recently in their church. He said they went to pray for her and she said, said oh no wait don't pray that God saves me from this they said what she said yeah don't pray that God saves me she has a terminal disease and is no doubt going to pass away but this dear precious elder saint said don't you dare pray that God saves me from this because you see I've got a hope that is far beyond oh can I tell you what do we really believe Where are we really living? Are we living for today? Are we living for a hope of tomorrow? Are we recognizing this world is not my home? Oh, I know, and I know some would say, well, he must have a death wish. No, I don't have a death wish. I'll live. I'll live and do the best I can. But when that day comes, I'm going to understand that it is not about today, but it is about eternity. It's about a great hope that our God and Savior Christ has laid up. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. He said, I want you to understand, you're going to have in the last days perilous times. But understand that you cannot be bound by a spirit of fear. There has been a flagrant agenda from Hollywood for many years. Producing imagery, depicting of things that produce fear in hearts of people and in their lives. It becomes prevalent. Many years ago, I even walked into a nursing home, was going to pray for somebody. And I watched as a lady was trembling with fear. I walked over and I said, can I pray with you? What's wrong? Well, then I looked and saw she was watching something produced by Hollywood producing great fear all you have to do is turn it off and it'll change everything can I tell you fear anxiety it will paralyze you but can I ask you a question what would you do if you were no longer afraid how would you live For the great prophet Elijah had a great powerful experience. A mighty victory that God brought about in that era of time. And yet even Elijah ended up when things turned on him. He saw great victory. He saw the slaying of the prophets of Baal. He saw fire fall from heaven. He saw water and altar consumed by that great fire. Oh, but yet in the midst of it all, all Jezebel, Ahab, started chasing after him ordering his death and then you find Elijah the great prophet sitting underneath a tree saying Lord it's enough just take away my life I'm no better than my father does it sound like even the prophet had some fear and yet in the midst of it all God said, well, what do you mean, be afraid? Don't you remember who I am? Don't you remember what I have given to you? Oh, the great message that we read just moments ago in our text. It's a great text. It's a great story. For you see the dozen men. God called men, disciples of God. They had set across the water, the scripture tells us, rowing as hard as they could, yet getting nowhere. Oh, there was a great tempest, a great storm that arose on the Sea of Galilee that day. The great tempest was there. They've been rowing all night, getting nowhere. It's three in the morning, and all of a sudden, things get really worse. Because not only are they fearful of their lives, not only is water getting in the boat, now somebody says, Ah! It's a ghost! No, it's not a ghost. Jesus said, It's me! Be not... But in that moment 
of fear. Suddenly, fear turns to faith. And Peter said, if it's you, ask me to come. Now think about that. If it was really a ghost that was going to kill you, come on. But something changes in Peter's concept and his understanding. And he says, it's the Lord. What a change. Now he's bold. Earlier when Jesus was in the mountains, he didn't want to be anywhere near the water. He had been asking God to help them and save them. It had been their greatest fear, the water that was all around. But in that moment, Jesus didn't say to Peter, Peter, what are you thinking? It's water, dude. Have you ever heard of gravity? Do you know the storm really is against you, Peter? Hey, Peter, you've been around water all your life. Don't you know what happens when you get out on water? Splash. You sink. No, Jesus just responds to his faith. I believe that's why later in the scripture he said all things are possible to them that believe. And Jesus just looks at Peter and says, come. Well, there's a lot of detail in come. Come. Most of us would have said, "Can, can you explain that, Lord? Should I dive head first? Should I be careful about how I get out of here? Should, should you know, and, and, and of course, most likely one or two was saying, you know what, are you sure you want to do this, Peter? Some saying, you know, I think you're crazy. Getting out of the boat? Yet, yet, can I just ask you, which is crazier? Getting out of the boat? Or being in the boat and afraid of the storm? Or being out of the boat, walking on water with Jesus? Which is crazier? Because earlier, just earlier, moments earlier in their lives, they had all been trusting on two or three planks. And the glue and the nails brought them together, hoping that by chance they would stay together long enough to endure the storm. And yet in the moment, Peter trusted the pure word of God. And when he let himself down on the water, he didn't do so into just merely water. No, no, Peter stepped into the the very arms of a saving God. He began to hold the very hand of the master who was able to help him. Can I tell you before Peter you could have ever sank. You would have had to break the very arm of God. Can I tell somebody here today, you see, here we have Peter. And all of a sudden, he walks for a moment. But then he begins to look at his surroundings. Fear. What's going to happen next? Where where are we going to go? All the chaos of, you know, the truth of the matter is, can I just tell somebody that, you know, and I was reading earlier this year, it's been uh, uh, over a hundred years since the United States has faced super disruptors like we have had. They're super disruptors. They're called, and really it's been, it was 1900 was the last time the United States dealt with three super disruptors at one time. What are super disruptors? Well, contested elections. Economic turmoil. We are, and and pandemic. Do you know that the last time was 1900 that the, you know, we have them occasionally one-offs, but when we have three at one time, three super disruptors, there's an issue. But you know what else happened in 1900? We had Azusa Street. We had, the ref, we had the great renewing of the Holy Ghost that poured upon North America. Could it be these super disruptors are not about just creating a chaos in your life and a fear? I think it's important the church understands that while the world is cowering away in fear, if we'll just look up, we'll understand that God is right there. And if we'll listen, He might just be saying, Come! 
Lord, if it's you, what do you want me to do? Well, what I want you to do is get out of the boat. You've been thinking for so long that that was the only thing that was going to save you. But can you step into my very arms? And when you do, you're going to do what no one else. I've never read where anybody else has ever walked on water, but Peter did. We yell at him. We talk at him. We say, oh, Peter, you messed up. But he's still the only one that I know that's ever walked on water. And yet when Peter became fixed on the difficulties, he got lost in the concern of it all and moved aside his faith. But can I tell you, he began to believe more in the hindrances than he did in his help. He became more afraid of his surroundings than his fear of God. Oh, Winston Churchill said many years ago, he said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. I believe the truth is we have nothing to fear but God himself. For you see, with God, and if I fear God, you don't fear anything else. The psalmist said it clearly. Wherefore, will we not fear though the earth be moved, though the mountain be cast in the sea? When the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise a standard against it. Oh, I'm talking about overcoming the fear factor. So how can I overcome fear in my life? Moses sent 12 men to the promised land. He said, I want you to go look at that promised land and come back and give me a report. Only two of those men came back without fear. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were the only two. Everybody else came back and said, oh, have you seen the big walls? Have you seen? Oh, no. The people, they're giants. We're just grasshoppers. Joshua and Caleb, they didn't come talking about any of that. They didn't talk about walls. They didn't talk about size of people. They said, have you seen those grapes? Have you seen the harvest that is there? And that's ours, folks. Can I tell somebody, quit looking at all the circumstance. Start looking at the harvest. I said quit looking at the circumstance. Start looking at the harvest. Look what God is going to do. Look what God can accomplish. Look what the glory of God can bring about. So how did Joshua and Caleb deal with it? Well, in Joshua 14.8, we find him saying, We completely, he said, Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I will wholly follow the Lord. What he was saying was we completely followed the Lord. If you want to overcome fear, you've got to completely follow the Lord. Isaiah 26.3 says this, The Lord gives perfect peace. Because he puts his trust in the Lord. When you fully surrender and completely trust God, you have no room to fear. God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. So we must completely and totally surrender ourselves to God. When was the last time you really just surrendered it all to him? You know what? I'm even talking about 401ks. I'm talking about our homes. I'm talking about our livelihoods. I'm talking about everything. Walking to the altar and saying, I'm not saying just literally give it all away. What I am saying, though, is this. Just simply to God, give it away. God, this is not mine. It's yours. The earth is the Lord's. The fullness thereof. God, you're able to do it. You're able to do, you're able to accomplish. God, you're the one that gave it to me. God, if it's taken away from me, I'm nevertheless going to trust in you because it's yours. Completely and wholly surrender to God. Everything. And then secondly, if I'm going to try to overcome this fear, you've got to be honest about the difficulty. Napoleon, when he was facing difficulty in war, it said that he would put... Out paper imaginary armies and men. And this mighty Napoleon, 
he would take those imaginary paper armies and he would move them around and he would destroy the enemy. Sometimes his advisors would look at him and they would say, Sir, sir, you, you, you know those really aren't real. But Napoleon's response was famous. He said, don't rob me of my peace. Don't rob me of, of my peace. In other words, I'm aware of the difficulties. I'm aware of the circumstance. But you know, sometimes you just got to say, this thing is all in God's hands. And this thing is what God is able to accomplish and do. But I got to be honest about it. But then you got to remind yourself, ultimately, thirdly, you got to remind yourself about your resources. Numbers chapter 13, we won't read it, but Numbers 13, 30 and 31. The great story of there, these children of Israel. And they're all saying, but, but look at the big, big people. How are we going to do it? And you got two guys that says, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. If your resources is Sam newsflash, Sam's newsflash, they're going to run out of toilet paper. If your resource is the grocery store, you know, let's just be honest. We've lived in plenty for so long. We have forgotten what it's like to really have to trust in God. But what happens if it all changes and we truly have to trust in God? Well, then we have to remind ourselves of our resources. We are well able. Ephesians 3.20, he said, Now unto him that is able. To do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. Is it that we, as people who have lived in the United States, we have become so consumed with our own abilities when we're faced with something that we no longer have control over we're unsure and we become fearful and yet God says whoa whoa wait a minute I am able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything you ask according to the power that worketh in us folks when you got the power of the Holy Ghost you need to activate that power you need to activate and you need to access the power that is within us Isaiah 43, 1 and 2, he says this. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. And we sing about it this morning. When thou passeth through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Can I tell you, fear loses its power when we trust God more than what we fear. It's when fear loses its factor in our lives. It's when fear diminishes and a faith in God arises. It's when we hear the voice of God say, step out, come to me, walk on water. Mary, you're going to have a child. All the details in her mind begins to fester and everything within her says, well, wait a minute, how, how can this be? Seeing I know not a man. And he said, the angel of the Lord responded to her and said quickly, efficiently, and profoundly, fear not, for that which is in you is of the Holy Ghost. Mary, 
Don't be afraid. Don't worry about everything around you. Don't concern yourself. Just fear not. Oh, it was the psalmist that wrote it so clearly in 34.4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. So today, where are you? Are you struggling with the mental capacity of fear as it began to overtake you and overwhelm you? begin to captivate your thinking to where you're not even sure you can ever even go out of your home anymore. Fear. You say, what if I get it? What if you do? All I know is this. It's obvious. I was talking to a man of God the other day and said to me, he said, it's obvious that God is not literally keeping this disease from all of us. Some of our great men of God have passed away because of it. And I think the concern is that that has created fear in some people's hearts because, oh, if he who is close to God is gone, then who, what about me? And yet, is that really the message we need to take? Or do we need to recognize that the truth is these men were close to God? Maybe God just decided, you know what, I'd rather you be a little closer. Because this isn't about our 70, 80, 90, 100 years that we live here. It's about eternity. The Bible says, and Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. Enoch, it's just kind of chaotic down there. Why don't you come up here and be with me? Fear. He said, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. I believe our answer is simply this. First, seek the Lord. Talk to God. God, I'm dealing with this fear, and I don't even understand. I don't know what's going to happen in my world. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. God, I need you to direct me and guide me and lead me. But he said, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. What was his answer? He delivered me from all my fear. You say, well, does God really care? Well, I do believe he does care. Because as I began to read the scripture, and I began to search the scripture for all the times that the word of God says, fear not. Do you know that the word of God Those two words are reported in the Word of God and recorded over 365 times. Sometimes I'm a slow learner. Sometimes God's got to repeat himself a couple of times. I know there's nobody out there like that. you know every day the onslaught of fear hits us and we forget the Sunday morning message on Monday morning so why would God oh he doesn't do anything by accident why would over 365 times there be a repetitive fear not why Could could it perhaps be that God said you know humanity has such a hard time getting it but there is 365 days of the year And so just so they have one for every day of the week, every day of the year, 365 times I can get up and I can read it a different place at a different time. God says, fear not. Fear not on Monday. Fear not on Tuesday. Fear not on Wednesday. Fear not on Thursday. Fear not on Friday. Fear not on Saturday. Fear not on Sunday. Fear not in 21. Fear not in 22. Fear not in 23. Fear not in the chaos of 20. Can I tell you, the Word of God tells us repeatedly, don't let fear become he said God hath not given us a spirit of fear but of love power and a sound mind would you stand with me today
fear not. We don't know what tomorrow brings. Somebody told me recently, they said, we're going to plan the year. What do you think? And I started laughing. He said, what are you laughing about? I said, have you ever been to Little Bighorn? He said, no. I said, well, do you know what Little Bighorn is? Some of them said, yeah. I said, well, for those of you who don't recall history, a little place in Montana called Little Bighorn. And uh, that's where Custard's Last Stand happened. And if you've ever been there, anybody here ever been there? You need to go sometime. Because once you go, and if you're related to Custard, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say. You figure out real quickly what an absolute narcissistic, clueless leader he was. The only reason we hear Custard's last stand be repeated is because of his wife who traveled around the world and country repeating those words to kind of try to soothe over his narcissistic failure so he wouldn't be remembered as what he really was you see the problem was that he was so narcissistic he was clueless that terrains are different circumstances are different he was trying to take tactics that had already been disproven even in an earlier war that he had almost lost a battle with he used the same tactics there, not realizing. You see, if you've been to Little Bighorn, you understand the terrain is so in uneven. It's hilly, little bitty hills here and there, and it's such an uneven area. And it's prone really close to the, the plains. The wind blows profusely, and when you get the wind blowing and you get the uneven terrain, you can't hear and you can't see. Hence... The reason that you could be standing a hundred yards from an entire herd of buffalo and not even know they are there. Hence, you could be standing just a mere few hundred yards from the entire Sioux Nation and not even know it. So as a result of his failure and to understand the terrain, he led himself and his men into a horrible tragedy the outcome was already decided before one fire shot because he didn't understand where he was and of course when I said that they were all kind of quiet because we're talking about planning next year I said well, what do you mean I said I'm not trying to be negative here I'm just saying that we don't know what's around the bend we don't know what is even tomorrow Last week you came, last week you're shut down and all these different things that are happening and this week a notice comes and says, well, it's going to be back to this. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't even know what next the next six hours holds. And so the Bible says, when you have done all, stand. Be afraid? No. No, why be afraid? Because the rest of that verse says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I'm telling somebody here today, you need to just close your eyes and you need to kind of get away from where we are right now and just begin to ask the Lord God I know the spirit of fear is rampant I know that I'm overcome with fear in everything that I face I know the enemy is overcoming the world with fear right now but God in the midst of it all I'm asking right now that I can just simply go away I want the power of the spirit of God to overshadow me and in my mind I want to stand in my mind, I want to stand still. In my mind, I want to see the salvation of the Lord. And in my prayers, I want to see the reference of the power and the virtue of God that brings about the fact that I am not afraid. 
Come on, somebody needs to reach out right now. Somebody needs to reach out to the Lord right now. His presence is here. His spirit is here. His glory is here. His power is here. His salvation is here. Hallelujah. 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 The Lord is my shepherd. Goes before me, defender behind me. I won't fear. I'm filled with anointing, cups overflowing. No weapon can harm me. I won't.